0: Hey, this is Tim McCurdy, and welcome to Vine Pairs Cocktail College, a weekly deep dive into classic cocktails that goes beyond the recipe with America's best bartenders. I'm going to file today's cocktail under the banner of bona fide classics that also stretch the definition of the term. There's no doubt that folks have been shaking up the Champs-Élysées for well over a century, but at the same time, it's easily much less known than drinks like the Manhattan, Old Fashioned, or even the Sidecar. It's got a lot of things going for it, though. Has the old Champs Elysees, another use for that pricey bottle of green Chartreuse you bought for the last word. This cocktail is also one that manages to find balance among four bold ingredients, with a couple of dashes of Ango for good measure. Of course. It requires a skilled hand to achieve this result. Someone like today's guest, Wilmer Alasco. After more than a decade in the business mixing drinks, Wilmer now works as the head bartender at Leroy's in Greenpoint, Brooklyn. There, he counts this drink amongst his list of classics. And today he takes a scientific approach to the concept of building cocktails and the intriguing idea of non-negotiables. We're heading to the eighth arrondissement today, listener. In spirit only, that spirit being cognac and the cocktail, the Champs Elysees. It's the Cocktail College podcast, brought to you by the VinePair Podcast Network. That's always good to hear. All right. Well, we're good. We're doing good in the studio. We're going to kick it off. All right. It is the Cocktail College podcast pull out google maps folks it's the champs Elysees. wilmer in joining us today that's the cocktail and that's the guest wilmer thank you so much for joining us thanks for having me it's a real pleasure to have you in the studio today and beyond you know fashion boutiques the eiffel tower the city of love what is the first thing what you think about when you think about the champs Elysees? from a cocktail perspective this drink
1: for me, the thing that stands out about this drink is uh, it's my personal connection to it. Um, going into it when I received the the layout of all the drinks that you could choose from. I know it took us a couple of tries to nail one down. <laughs> We've covered quite a few so far. Some yeah. of the big hitters are, big have been done. For sure, for sure. It's interesting to me because it's one of those drinks that means a lot to me on a personal level, but I don't know so, so much about the history of it or even where the construct comes from. Um, so it's an interesting one to go for, mm-hmm. but I am excited to talk about it.
0: Yeah. And it's, yeah, there, you know, sometimes I think, you know, look, we, we can try and that there is a temptation when it comes to cocktails to always try and get to the historical facts and the significance there. And we'll cover that a little bit, but the, the fact of the matter is not every drink's going to have that. And I've done my own research into this. You know, this is a drink that I've enjoyed before. I've done my own research into that. It doesn't seem to be a lot, We'll get into it in a second. But first of all, what's in this drink for those who are unfamiliar with it or who have never tried it?
1: So the components in this drink are pretty simple, straightforward. Uh, You're looking at an aged cognac, green chartreuse, lemon, some sort of sweetener, typically simple syrup, uh, and Angostura bitters. Nice. And, yeah, so one thing I do
0: love about this is it's one of those drinks that like we said, maybe not everyone's heard of them, maybe not everyone's tried, but I would argue that if you're into cocktails, you probably have all of those ingredients. Maybe you don't have the chartreuse, or maybe you bought it for a better-known cocktail. Um, I always like drinks as well where you get a little bit more mileage out of that kind of bottle. So this is a good one. I think this was this will be a good exploration for many today.
1: For sure, um, this being one of those drinks that yeah has a. Uh as green chartreuse is one of the components, typically a, a slightly higher cost component. Mm-hmm. This one, it, according to the specification of it, sits in the half an ounce region. Mm-hmm. So you do get a little more mileage out of that uh, out of that product.
0: Yeah, yeah, and it's a it's a fair amount there. You know, maybe beyond the just like a, a bar spoon or whatever, a small modifier there. We'll get into that. We'll get into ingredients. We'll get into ratios. First of all, though, it's not just a big road in Paris. What is it? What's the history of the Elysees?
1: So, the history that I discovered uh, on it, not super clear, but uh, the f- the first I knew of it was Joseph Schwartz, bringing it back to prominence in a twen- 2003, A Milk and Honey. Uh, but originally it was written about in Drinks Long and Short uh, in 1925.
0: And that's not one of those books that kind of I mean, that's not Jerry Thomas, right? Or it's not the Savoy, right? Like that is not one of those books that often comes up. Um, is that one you've looked into that much yourself? Or I know I haven't. I know that was the first time probably that I'd ever come across this book when I when I researched this drink.
1: Same, same. Um, unfortunately, it's not one of those books that I've personally uh, heard of prior to starting to do my research on this drink. Um but it seems like a like a good book that uh, mm-hmm. but this is definitely the one that is the standout drink
0: from, that, from book. that book. And the name, I mean there's two French ingredients in there. Is that is that it? Is that that simple or is there anything else there? Or do you have any theories there?
1: I uh it's hard to say, right? Because chartreuse is alpine. hmm Right. Cognac is from the Cognac region, Mm -hmm. not quite where the Champs-Élysées or the Arc de Triomphe are. (laughs) So it's a tough call. Mm -hmm. Uh, Sometimes, I guess, it's a matter of taking two common ideas and Mm -hmm. I guess conflating one with the other. All
0: right, here's one for you because the Champs-Élysées, again, being this kind of um, iconic part of one of the most iconic cities in the world, is this a better drink than the sidecar? (laughs) <laughs> sorry this one's coming out of you you know coming out of left field that question what do you feel though better drink uh, than the sidecar because that's one where you know we're talking all french components right unless i'm getting that wrong people are shouting at their their headphones right now or the podcast but i think that's all right cointreau
1: cognac yeah uh lemon juice lemon juice very similar in some respects in terms of construct yeah they mm. uh, they follow the same structure um I'm not one to say one is better than the other. Mm-hmm. I think it's a matter of preference. Mm-hmm. You'd make a good politician. It's, uh, I'm diplomatic in my approach. <laughs> I try to be as best as possible. Um, no, if, if it's me sitting down and having the drink or if it's me uh, standing across from a guest and uh, having the conversation, understanding what, they're, what they want, when they're in the mood for, how adventurous they are, I might pick the Champs-Élysées over the sidecar.
0: Yeah, it's maybe a little bit more interesting, right? Or maybe you stand more of a chance of of uh, grabbing their attention or exciting them because it's not one, which is a good point here, because this is not a drink I often see on menus, uh, very rarely, and don't hear it called out too often. Um, that's not the case for yourself, though, in your bar. This is one that you have on your menu. Do you want to talk to us about that? The, the thought process for putting that on there, and then also your first experience with the Champs-Élysées.
1: Yeah. Um, the choice with uh, adding the Champs-Élysées to the menu over at uh, at Leroy's was a matter of, for me, being able to use that classic section to highlight drinks that are classics to those that know, while using it as a means of exposing guests to other classics, not the usual Not Mm -hmm. your Manhattan, not your sidecar, not necessarily your daiquiri. All things that are delicious on their own right, but just a little different. Mm -hmm. Something that will expose our guests to something new.
0: I mean, I think that's a great point just about bars and bar menus in general, right? Like, I love having a section of proprietary drinks and also a section of classics. Do you need to put an old-fashioned on there? Like, of course, people, maybe not everyone feels comfortable asking for a drink that's not on the menu. In 2022, I think we can expect that most bars can make an old-fashioned and probably without too many riffs, right? So I think highlighting these other classics that are classics, but lesser known, I love that because it also allows people to kind of, yeah, gradually dip their toe in and explore new things.
1: For us, it's using that classic section to encourage our guests to delve deeper into the realm of classic drinks they're meant to achieve two different things one with our staff exposing them to those drinks educating them without necessarily just hammering down on on random drinks like say we've run dacoroys pineapple daiquiris paper planes mm-hmm. now we're going to go ahead and do the champs hmm it's an education tool for me mm-hmm. conversely for me if a guest sees oh, Champs-Elysees, what's that? Hmm, classic, okay. Maybe I can start ordering other classics. Mm-hmm. It's meant to encourage them. There's a reason why I have a dirty martini on the menu. I'm not doing anything different to it. I'm making it right, I'm making it consistent so that people know, Yeah. okay, I ha- I'm comfortable here. They yeah. know what's going on. I can order with comfort.
0: And I think there's something subconscious just about the word classic, right, as well, like must be a classic for a reason.
1: Of course. That's uh, it's classic for a reason, as you just said. Um, it's been it's been made over and over. It's standard what is it stood the test of time.
0: Yeah, for sure. And there's there's always a reason for that. Sometimes not always a good reason, but <laughs> there's always a reason for that.
1: That's true.
0: What about your first experience with this drink though? Can do you remember where that was and, and, and how you felt when you were ordering that one?
1: Yeah. Uh, my first time with that drink was, uh, I don't remember exactly when, but it was one of my first bartending jobs. Um, my bar mentor at the time, my my always bar mentor, this guy, um, he took me to Little Branch, and he was so excited to expose me, introduce me to this drink. So I didn't order anything. We went up to the bar. It was my first time there, and it was it was Little Branch. It was big. It was exciting. It was intimidating. Mm-hmm. Um and I guess a few minutes later, a drink showed up in my hand in a in a beautiful uh, sour glass. And, and that was the first time. And I probably had a few more than I should have that night after. That's <laughs> always a good sign. I guess so. I guess so. It's the mark of a good drink, right? Of course.
0: The fact that you immediately want to order another one
1: mm-hmm.
0: before you've even finished it. Right. And the fact that you maybe order a third, even though you know you shouldn't. Correct. It's my endless dilemma with martinis. Uh, I, I can't. <laughs> that's the first martini you mentioned today. Probably not the last. That's fine. <laughs> it comes that's up fine. a lot. <laughs> <laughs> it's so funny you say that as well, though. And this is this is going to lead us nicely, I hope, into the next thing that I want to talk about here. But my first experience with the Champs-Élysées myself was at Attaboy.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And... You know how it goes there, you know, no menu. So it's based on recommendations. And I think they do do like, do you like spicy? Do you like what spirit are you looking for? Whatever. Uh, I don't know whether I sound like a prick asking for things like this or whether they appreciate it. But I was like, look, I've got a very specific request. Um, I think I was on a bit of a last word kick at the time or something. And I was like, can you make me something that follows a similar template to the last word, but is not the paper plane or naked and famous or... I believe Division Bell is the other one that is is in that line. I think I was quoting that one. Anyway, the Champs-Élysées arrived, and it was incredible. I loved it. I liked it. That that was the first time I'd come across it. I still have the note in my phone. Do you know what I mean? If a drink makes it into the note section, <laughs> that's always a good sign. Um, but yeah, how, how much is this really in that last word template? Because... We're going to get into ratios and recipes and stuff, but just a spoiler alert, this is not the three-quarter, 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 right? Like, do you agree with that, or or does that seem to you like a logical recommendation from them when when I asked for that?
1: It's a tough read because, yeah, as, as mentioned, it's not part of that uh, now classic understanding of the three-quarter, the four-component, three-quarter split cocktail, right? Um, I think for them, just following what you relayed just now, I think it's a testament to their uh, customer service standards. Mm -hmm. They understood you. They recognized and acknowledged the guest Mm -hmm. and the guest knowledge base very quickly. You said division bell. Mm -hmm. You said last word. This person knows what they're talking about. Let's Mm -hmm. do something cool because we can take them and maybe it doesn't 100% follow that format, but it's okay Mm -hmm. because we can have this conversation on a slightly different level Mm -hmm. with this person and they'll get it. Mm -hmm. They'll vibe with that.
0: And it's a four ingredient drink. So if you're not counting bitters, so it, you know, it works on that front. That's true. And I definitely ordered a second. I was running late for dinner. I was like, I think I got time for one more. Mm -hmm. So it passed that test.
1: And that's that, you know, when a drink gets, uh, one of the focuses for me when I'm, constructing, uh, menus and drinks for menus nowadays, it's how often will a guest have a repeat order mm-hmm. on this drink? It says a lot that you went ahead and had more than one of those. <laughs> it was very well executed. Um,
0: tough one when it comes to four ingredients. I think we spoke about this maybe in the last word episode or maybe in the corpse Survivor. but four ingredients, it's like, where do you start? Where's the anchor of this drink for you? So if you're looking for your own spec, if you're looking for the balance point, where do you start there and, and what are the biggest challenges when it comes to, yeah, balancing these four very different ingredients?
1: Uh, for me, it starts when it comes to those, those cocktails like that. Look, treat it as an experiment. Identify what the controls are before you can identify what the variables are. With something like a Champs-Élysées, your control, the thing that's a non-negotiable, is your green chartreuse. I think you could follow that up by saying that lemon juice is probably the second non-negotiable, which allows the base spirit, your cognac, your biggest measure, to be your biggest variable. Huh. So that's how you can start playing with the drink. That's how you can start playing with the concept. That's how you can develop your own theory behind how to execute that style of drink. Mm-hmm. So I think it's a great platform. I think it's a good template. hmm uh for that I love
0: that idea of what are your non-negotiables I th- I love that because it's like I mean unless you're trying to create a riff on this right like yeah like you said lemon juice is a non-negotiable unless you're trying to acid adjust something else and you know we're going in a different direction but also chartreuse yeah like there are those bottles out there that you're like it has to be this one in this drink
1: yeah and and I don't think there are too too many drinks that, that are that stringent, I think a Negroni, yeah, is one of them. It's a Campari cocktail. It's a Campari cocktail first. Mm-hmm. Then you play around with the sh- with the sorry with the sweet vermouth. Mm-hmm. Then you can choose which gin you think might work best for that mm-hmm. application. But the non-negotiable is the Campari.
0: Mm-hmm. Also, just want to say there, thank you for for agreeing with that. That's long been my point. That's long been my point of contention. There, the Campari is not a gin cocktail. I don't care what anyone says. Like. You can use many gins. We've we've covered this before in the Negroni episode, but like it's not it's not a gin cocktail.
1: No, and I think again for me it's so easy to agree with you because of my outlook on where can you play around with the structure of the drink and where can you where is it not allowed or where is it not where does it not allow itself to be riffed upon? Mm-hmm. You know, unless you're going to follow the the cocktail concept template. Mm-hmm. And then work off of that, but yeah, nice. It's a Campari cocktail, <laughs> and it comes these days. It's
0: a cognac cocktail, or maybe it's a Chartreuse cocktail. I mean, either way, um, I guess you could you could argue that. But profile wise, mm-hmm. is this because it's being used, it's being made with an aged spirit? But is this a refreshing drink? We know it's a we know it's a shaken drink, or you can guess it's a shaken drink because it contains fresh citrus. Um, is it a fresh profile? Is it is it maybe slightly more broody than than drinks of that ilk? Where where does this lie in your mind?
1: I, I have to say that for me, it stands firmly within the idea of a refreshing cocktail. Um, is it going to be as light and as bright on its feet as, uh, rather as bright and as light on its feet as something like a daiquiri, like a gimlet? No. I think certain aspects of it serve... To that cause, though, Mm -hmm. cognac, aged spirit, Mm -hmm. a little rounder, green chartreuse, notorious for being 110 proof, big body, lots of flavor,
0: Mm -hmm.
1: bitter, no, sorry, not bitter, herbaceous bracing. Yeah. Lemon juice, not as acid forward as your lime. Yeah. So while you do have some components that, again, aren't standalone, the lightest, brightest on their feet brightest, lightest on the feet. I keep saying that backwards. Um, Once you take them into this application of the Champs-Élysées and you're adding some ice and shaking it, Mm -hmm. aerating it, livening it it up, it's a a light, refreshing drink at the end of the day to me.
0: Yeah, it's one of those that, but maybe packs a bit more punch, like you say, than a a daiquiri or whatnot. Maybe it's one of those Someone regularly drinks brown spirits, but they ask you at the bar, like, I want to have something, oh, it's a hot day today, I want to have something refreshing, but I don't really, I don't like gin, I don't like rum, like, I think this is a, this is a great one. If you've already played your paper playing card, maybe, I don't know.
1: Yeah, you know, I had a, I had a moment with a guest, uh, just this week, um, regular of ours, they come in pretty often, want to say minimum of two to three times a week, and, um. The guy likes drinks. He likes his cocktails. He likes variety, um, and he was he was at the end of his of his night, and he says, "I want one more. Give me something a little different." Mm-hmm. I had you in mind. I had the episode in mind, so I fired up a Champs Elysees.
0: Nice. And he had three. <laughs> Maybe that should be the tagline for this drink. It's like, <laughs> <laughs> you can never order fewer than three. <laughs> like, right, right. Unlike the martini where you should never order three. That's mention number two. Um, yeah, what a great drink it is. Let's, um, anything else you want to chat about the profile or what you're looking for from a finished version of this drink? Or should we bang out the ingredients?
1: A uh, finished version of this drink? I would say I'm looking for there to be just masterful balance between the cognac that the bar is using that comes into play heavily um, and just the freshness of the ingredients, right? It's one of those drinks that I I think that because of the nature of how it's produced, you have very little wiggle room Mm -hmm. when you're making it Mm -hmm. to spec.
0: And this may be, I don't know. I don't know whether this is overly reductive or whether this is not something you can answer, but... When we talk about balance in a cocktail with four ingredients, five maybe, are you looking to identify each one of those ingredients in their own way and in their own proportion, or are you looking for something that comes together as one ideally greater than the sum of its parts?
1: Uh, Absolutely, especially with something like this. Again, touching back on... um the individual flavor profiles of the components, again, being that that rounder, richer cognac, again, same with uh, with the green chartreuse being such a big bold spirit. I think this is um, I think it's one of those drinks where it's um, it's far greater than the sum of its parts uh, when put together.
0: Ideally, yeah, I think yeah, I think that's always where we're hoping to arrive with cocktails, but I think it's so difficult. and again, especially when you've got all these competing flavors, um let's get into those ingredients now though.
1: Yeah, so this
0: start is, with cognac.
1: Yeah. So cognac being the base spirit. Um if we're speaking personal preference, I'm looking for something that's about a two year two year age to cognac, V S, uh green chartreuse, fresh lemon juice, simple syrup, like mm-hmm. other bitters. Mm-hmm. So a couple of non-negotiables there, but
0: we'll dive into them a little bit more. When you say Cognac VS, okay. Um, we've spoken about this for other Cognac cocktails before, but what is it about that younger-aged style that attracts you for this drink? Is it price point, profile, the fact that it's lighter and you know maybe jives well with the rest of the ingredients
1: better than something heavily aged or, yeah, is it maybe just the combination of all of those? Um, well, looking at it from from an operational, from a business operation perspective, less aged products typically equal less expensive, um, especially with something like green chartreuse at play as well. Yeah. That's in the range of your $60, $65 a bottle, depending on where you're shopping from. Um, in terms of the age statement on the cognac, I do like something that's, Younger age statement, because it is a lighter body, Mm -hmm. typically, which so much as we speak about non-negotiables and things being done to specification at all times, I always think that it is up to the bartender that is working with the components, with the ingredients, putting the things together to decipher and determine how they're putting the drink together and making sure that it makes sense in the tin Mm -hmm. before it's shaken, in the glass after it's shaken as well.
0: And I think even, you know, even if money were no object here, if you're just like looking, okay, you have free reign over your bar or vine pears bar here, and it's like, choose whichever cognac you want in the world. I just don't imagine that an exo works well with the rest of the ingredients here. It's too it's too heavy. It's too decadent and aged, right?
1: Yeah. And again, you're, you're looking to, you're seeking balance when you're putting these things together. And unfortunately... Or rather, fortunately, in some cases, because it would throw the balance off so, so much, having such an aggressively aged cognac just just doesn't make sense. And it's not don't try it. Mm -hmm. It's just try it so you can see what works best for you. Maybe more aged with a split cognac. Mm -hmm. Maybe splitting the bases between an XO and something different. Yeah. doesn't have to be cognac. Maybe you split it with an Armagnac. Nice. That could also make sense. I do feel like as well, though. Yeah, if you're going
0: full XO, you're you're more approaching savory versus fresh fruit, right? And this this to me, just looking at the ingredients, thinking about the flavor profile, we're, we're looking for more of that like fruitiness rather than getting into savory notes and whatnot, right?
1: Yeah, and the, those savory, uh, more. Aged fruit, more cooked fruit flavor profiles mm-hmm. do tend to come out with the longer aging process, just by nature of the product being in contact with that wood in the barrel for such a long, for such an extended period of time, mm-hmm. and it just doesn't always work.
0: And do you have any cognac brands brands that you want to kind of highlight here that you think is good for this, or just as great as a well for VS and cocktails? Like any any go tos for you?
1: Yeah, um, the one that we offer in the well uh, right now is Cognac Park. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's a VS, two-year aged, good price point. Mm -hmm. Delicious Cognac. Does exactly what it needs to do. Do you know what ABV that is? Probably 40. I think it's 40. 40.
0: If it's not, it'll be forty-three. I only ask because I'm not asking you to. You, you, I'm not expecting you to know this off the top of your head, but I do find it interesting that cognac really is one of those categories where, across the board, you're hitting forty or forty-three. Whereas, like, if I'm if I'm mixing gin at forty-three, I'm nah, I'm not interested, or even bourbon, you know.
1: Yeah, yeah, but I think that that's. This drink in particular is one of those examples where you have to be mindful of how much body the green chartreuse is bringing into the equation where I'm on I'm on your side of things. Say, for example, not to go too, not to deviate from the path of the Champs-Élysées cocktail, but a Manhattan for me has to be made with 100 proof whiskey. Yeah. Yeah. It just has to be. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, it's lacking Mm -hmm. in the body category for me.
0: And, you know, let's talk about that, too, because we're getting body not... I mean, yeah, ABV is body, right, for mm-hmm. the most part. It's not alcoholic burn if the if the spirit's well-made. It's, you know, it's also calories, but who cares <laughs> about that? Um, body's also coming from sugar. Mm-hmm. There's simple syrup in this drink. There's residual sugar. There's a ton of it in chartreuse as well. So you're right. We want to be... We don't
1: want this drink getting too flabby. No, no. No. When there's too much sugar involved, especially residual sugar, I feel like you start getting drinks that come off. And in this drink in particular, because of the cognac and the lemon and the green chartreuse and the bitters, it kind of already does look a little, it's not the most appealing Mm -hmm. drink in the glass. Right. (laughs) It's a good point. So, in the case of using a cognac that's lower in proof, say that 40%, 80 proof, you want that. Mm-hmm. because you just want the body and the flavor. Rather, you want that younger fruit, that bright flavor from that lower age statement cognac coming through, playing that that leading role mm-hmm. that's going to hold hands with the chartreuse to kind of carry through whatever was missing from the body of the cognac. Mm-hmm. And we've said this before when it comes to
0: drinks such as the sidecar, the lemon drop, even the margarita, basically anything with Cointreau. Just because this is a shaken drink... Let's not forget that, like you said, chartreuse having the ABV that it does. This is a boozy cocktail, despite the fact it's shaken.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, this is not one of those shrinks that's uh, to be taken lightly, for lack of a better term, <laughs> just because it's shaken. Mm-hmm. Uh, chartreuse is still 110 proof. Yeah,
0: it's, yeah, packs a punch. Um, we know that's non-negotiable. I don't think we need to cover anything else with chartreuse unless you have any th- final thoughts on that ingredient. No, no. No, it's yeah. wonderful.
1: It's delicious. It's always there for you when you need it, mm-hmm. unless it's out of stock. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and don't even bother trying to get vintage bottles these days. That market is done. People have, that's already been discovered. That's been exhausted. Yep. Um, lemon juice, we know fresh is best. It's an ingredient that comes up maybe every other show or every third show, depending on what we're covering. Any thoughts you have on lemon juice? Any original thoughts you have on lemon juice you'd like to throw into the mixer here?
1: No. No. <laughs> no no particular thoughts on lemon juice or citrus in general. Mm-hmm. It's, look, it's it's Thursday. Press the juice. Mm-hmm. Make sure it's fresh. Put it in a bottle. Service starts at 4. Outside of that, mm-hmm. and, and this is more so me speaking personally with you, but like, I love it when people have the ambition to make bitters and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Angostura does a fantastic job. It's true. It's true. And I I love it, but... You got to manage your resources, right? And your own expectations. And
0: you're 100%, but it's like... It's great that you're doing it. What's the payoff, though? Who cares? Is that bringing people in the door? I, again, this is not to do people down there are doing it. I think it's phenomenal if you have the time, if you have the resources, the staff, whatever, the cost. Angostura does a great job,
1: so mm-hmm. I don't think. Yeah, I think it's 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 um, understanding limitations. Yeah, and not denouncing anyone's efforts to get these things done because I think it's I think they're fantastic efforts, and I've come across a couple of homemade bidders that are fantastic. Mm-hmm. But then you sit there and you ask, what's the process? Mm-hmm. And after 10 days, you kind of just lose interest. Yeah. It's like, oh, gosh.
0: Yeah, it's a lot. Yeah. <laughs> it's a
1: lot. What's <laughs> it's my return on this effort, Right, on this labor?
0: Two dashes and a couple of drinks. Mm. Interesting. But yeah, lemon, let's not overthink it. We can't.
1: We can't. Just fresh is best. Mm-hmm. Do a day of. Do it right. Yeah. Pulp or no pulp? Oh, gosh. Strain it, please. You strain it? Strain it. Double-stranded.
0: What's the thinking there? Uh,
1: less obstruction. Okay, just no obstruction. No So when it's coming out
0: of your your bottle, when you when you're picking up that bottle in service, it's good to go.
1: Of course. And that aside, I, I guess I'd never thought about it like this before. Just because the idea of pulp being in the bottle was never something I thought about. But I guess there's a measure of juice still within those little individual pulp. Well, mm-hmm. it's right, that are next to impossible to account for. Mm-hmm. For me, it's a matter of efficacy of service. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, no, that was uh, made a cocktail
0: for a bartender not too long ago, and I didn't strain my lemon juice, and I got telling off. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I enjoyed it. Um, simple syrup.
1: Mm-hmm. Are we going one to one here? If we're following the the recipe, yes, one to one. And are you going one to one at Leroy's? I'm gonna go two to one. Mm -hmm. We're we're gonna go two to one, and we're actually going to go with uh, with a different uh, type of sugar. Mm -hmm. I'm gonna go with talk to us about that Demerara. Yeah, I feel I don't. I'm not the biggest fan of simple syrup. Mm -hmm. I'm not the biggest fan of one to one simple syrup. Mm -hmm. Um, If we're going to be adding sugar to a drink, in an effort, what's the idea behind adding sugar? It's to add richness, roundness. You're we're adding. If you're using a cooking terminology, sugar is to cocktails what fat is to cooking, right? So you're looking to have a a fuller product, a richer product. So if you're going to do that, Mm -hmm. and not to mention the caloric intake as well, you may as well make it worthwhile and introduce some, some sort of flavor component. Right. Which is my biggest issue with just mm-hmm. simple syrup is that mm-hmm. it doesn't necessarily add flavor. It adds body, but doesn't add flavor.
0: Right. It's the vodka of the of the <laughs> sweetening Ooh. world. Yeah, I guess so. Right. Yeesh. Whereas Demerara would be, I don't know, something barrel aged, something tasty. Rum, probably. Let's mm. be honest. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Probably like a like a nice Saint Lucian rum. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. But I've thought about this, yeah, because it's like, all right, yeah, this is an area where you can, if you choose to introduce flavor rather than just sweetness and body. Mm-hmm. And if it works, do so you feel like Demerara works with the rest of those components?
1: I think so. I think so. Um, and the idea with going with Demerara here is honestly to piggy, to to kind of push up the cognac. Because it is such a low age statement mm-hmm. cognac that is so much lighter in body and so much more fruit driven, we want a little bit of sugar to come and help pick it up. hmm in conjunction with that green chartreuse. Um, so that's that's why we made the decision to go with Demerara for this one. And Angostura. Who comes up with
0: this drink and says, we've got four ingredients, tough to balance, but you know what? We're going to just finish it off with Angostura.
1: Who doesn't? <laughs> Look at my spec sheets. They all, they're notorious for having weird amounts of Angostura always. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, I'll put whatever number it is, two dashes. Then you watch me make the drink and there's like five. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Why'd you put two? It's the old
0: garlic clove, (laughs) butter, right? Like, all right, I'm going to take this off for a quick detour here. Mm -hmm. Most recipes, when it says two garlic cloves, honestly speaking, two's enough. I hate people that have made it their personality. They're they're like, oh, yeah, the recipe calls for two garlic cloves and I add two heads. Don't do that. (laughs) I say this as a former chef. Stop doing that, people. That is not a personality. (laughs) And it's just wrong. You know what I mean? I'm not saying that through the lens of your Angostura here, but it's something I think about a lot. (laughs) It's a big Twitter
1: flex. (laughs) I get it. I get that. Um, But we're not going... (laughs) <laughs> no, it's more. Anguster is not that
0: right. Anguster is the, the cracked back pepper of the cocktail, right? And you know what? I'm all for just pulling out the massive mill and just going for it. Right? Yeah, exactly. Just we're doing that here in the studio. Um so that's a better comparison, but it made me think of garlic and I like to put these thoughts out there because uh yeah, just get them off my chest.
1: But even still I think it's a matter of restraint, right? I think I don't think the the garlic head is the the the, the example to Yeah, that applies the best. Mm -hmm. But the cracked black pepper one is sensational, as an example. Yeah, because so much as it's a fun add-on, you need restraint Mm -hmm. at all times. Um, So that's a fantastic metaphor.
0: The 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 pepper, because again, like, look, it comes down to basically how much you can take as an individual and how much you're you know you're willing to take. In the case of black pepper, if you go for those five six turns, I'm not going to worry about getting in an elevator with you. Now, in the garlic, I am. I'm just saying there's consequences. (laughs) Oh, We'll move on from this point. But um, it's so it's exclusively Ango you're using for this.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah. If I'm using some sort of aromatic bitter, uh, I know there are other other brands that have created other uh, other styles or other types of aromatic bitters. But if uh, if I'm at the bar and I'm making the drink and I have an option, if I have the choice, It'll, it'll be Angostura mm-hmm.
0: it's a great ingredient
1: mm-hmm.
0: now how about we walk through the preparation of this drink imagine we're at Leroy's right now you're making it for us go for your recipe, your specs it doesn't have to be the classic um, and if you can talk us through step by step ingredient by ingredient um, with quantities you making this in the, the the perfect version of this drink in your eyes
1: yeah, sure. Uh, for us, uh, well, if I'm standing at the bar and I'm making the drink for you, uh, I'm gonna grab the grab the small tin. You know, I, I remember from the Corpse Survivor episode, you applauded the small tin build mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> only because it makes the most sense, right? Right. Uh, small tin. Start with dashes. Uh, I execute my recipes opposite of how I write them. So I write them: uh, base spirit, modifier, citrus sugar bitters Mm -hmm. i expect myself and my bar team to build from the bottom up Mm -hmm. which is to say least expensive leading into most expensive Mm -hmm. bigger biggest pour. so you order the drink grab the small tin start with ango pick up uh a third ounce measure uh of demerara that rich two to one demerara uh we're going half an ounce of lemon half an ounce green chartreuse ounce and a half of that uh Cognac Park, a mm-hmm. two-year-aged cognac. Add some uh, some cold draft to the tin. Every drink is different, so every drink kind of tends to get a different uh, amount of ice. Mm-hmm. Seal it, shake it, double strain it, you know, Hawthorne fine strainer, as mm-hmm. it should be. Uh, glassware, probably a Nick and Nora.
0: Nick and Nora.
1: I like that glass.
0: Yeah. And this isn't gonna to get too big. What's a Nora? Five to six ounces? Yeah, we're 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 good on that,
1: right? You're hitting you're getting close. You're hitting uh you're hitting the wash line. Yeah. Right? Uh as long as you give it a good good shake with proper ice, you account for your dilution. Mm-hmm. I think the build on this is gonna be three and a third. Yep. Is that true? Yeah. Three and a third? One and a half cognac, half shirt. Three and a third, yeah. It's three and a third? Mm-hmm. After shaking you get what do you get somewhere in the realm of one and a quarter to one and a half ounces of dilution? You do the math.
0: Yeah, five ounces. Yeah.
1: Nice. It's nice. It's nice. If you get the good, you know, a good shake, good aeration, that negative space at the top of the glass gets filled by that by that foamy yeah. finished drink that's aesthetically appealing to the guest. Yeah, for sure. Then you just serve it as fast as possible. No garnish? No. No. I don't want a garnish on this one. Me either. I've seen them with lemon twists. Mm -hmm. Um, I think they're obstructive. Yep. Personally.
0: Especially in a Nick and Nora glass. Mm -hmm. Anything beyond a little olive on a pick. I'm not sure I want a garnish in a Nick and Nora. It looks weird. Yeah, it does.
1: I think it looks strange.
0: Um... Otherwise, it's an overly manicured twist. And then it's like, what are we doing this for?
1: Right. Which I'm all for. I love, uh, yeah, make it nice.
0: No, yeah, of course, but it's like if you're not able to, I don't know. I'm just complaining here today. <laughs> it's getting close to lunchtime. Ooh. <laughs> um, yeah, serve it as quick as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, not the most visually appealing drink when it comes to the color itself.
1: Which is where, that's the reason why you have to hit the express button. Mm-hmm. And by express, I don't mean the expression of the garnish. I mean the get, get it, it out, out fast. as fast as possible. Yeah. Um, because once that aeration starts to evaporate, starts to what, not dissolve, evapor- not evaporation. Once the aeration starts to dissipate from the glass, now it starts to settle in and you get that kind of muddy yeah, looking finished product.
0: Hopefully that Nick and Nora is coming from the freezer too, maybe as well. It's going to be frosted on the outside. If you're going to do it, do it right. Exactly. Yeah.
1: And if you don't have the means of, or in our case, we don't always have the, we don't have the real estate for for that freezer. Ice the glass. Yeah. Doesn't take much. Doesn't take long. And the guest always appreciates it. Always appreciates it's it.
0: It's the little touches. Mm-hmm. That's what this That's what this business is all about. Um. Any final thoughts here on the Champs-Elysees?
1: I hope that uh, my words on it Our conversation on it helps Mm -hmm. to bring shed some more light Mm -hmm. to the drink and helps to popularize it a little bit more. I think it's a fantastic drink. Um, And I hope just people get to experience it more. And Mm -hmm. I hope more bartenders start using this as one of those drinks that they fall back on.
0: Yeah, I want to see this on more classics menus. I want more people drinking this one. Curveball question that just came to my mind right now. (laughs) Before we move on to the next section... Is there another cocktail or another well-known cocktail that's named after a street? There must be. Is that even the name of the street in Paris or is it just known as the Champs-Élysées? Like, I don't know.
1: Isn't the Champs-Élysées the... It's just like the... It's the end of the avenue where the Arc de Triomphe is, right? No, it's the avenue itself, is it's, it not? I believe so. Yeah. Well, you know... Then it ends at Arctic. Geo- we
0: know more about cocktails on this show than we do about <laughs> general <laughs> geography, and I guess. I guess so. I mean, Manhattan, I guess, if you want to say there is a Manhattan, Avenue, but nah.
1: Nah. They're neighborhood cocktails, no?
0: Neighborhood cocktails, yeah. I know.
1: But who got on that trend? Who named a Red Hook a Red Hook?
0: I forget. That's a fairly modern one, though. Yeah. Yeah. The Brooklyn? I don't know. Brooklyn? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Well, you know... One that I've always wanted to get to the bottom of and never been able to is what is a Staten Island because it's the only one that doesn't have a recognized cocktail or widely recognized cocktail. I'd like to see someone come up with that.
1: Oh, so it, it hasn't been made yet?
0: It hasn't, but I'd like to go to Staten Island one day and just ask people, is there is there such a cocktail?
1: It's, uh, let's get Pete Davidson on the line. Yeah. <laughs> We'll chat with him. We'll see. We'll see what his take is on it.
0: Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure it's wonderful. I'm sure it's uh, enlightening.
1: Is he an unpopular opinion now?
0: Pete Davidson. Yeah. Right. I don't know. I I I watched his comedy recently to see what he was about. I don't know. I mean, uh, interesting guy. Mm. He's been in and out of the spotlight. Um, we'll tie it up there though, and we'll move into the next section of the show here. Quick hit questions to get to know yourself a little bit more today. Starting with question number one, mm-hmm. what style or category of spirit typically enjoys the most real estate on your back bar?
1: Mm. I would say amari enjoys the most real estate on the back bar. Um, with the way that uh, that we went about how we curated the cocktail program and even the back bar at uh, at Leroy's, we I let the staff and the guests uh, dictate more the direction that we took it in. Mm -hmm. And the staff was the one that really did it. They took such an interest to these bitter, bitter bitter-leaning cocktails. Mm -hmm. It started with a paper plane because that was the first of the classics that we put on the menu. Mm -hmm. And they were all enamored by it. And we just continued to, to build upon that idea. And it was just them constantly requesting, hey, can we get this? Hey, can we get that? So Italian Amari... Mm -hmm. mostly, Mm -hmm. you know, we have back there.
0: When it comes to your stylistic preference, do you like some of those richer ones that maybe come from the south or do you like ones that are maybe like a little bit more I know that's a generalization, but uh, maybe or the ones that come from the north that are a bit more I don't know, like Alpine in style if you know what I mean, like Mm -hmm. where do you if if you're reaching for a glass at the end of the night, where are you going?
1: Mm. I feel like for me if if I'm having a tomorrow Braulio is the one that always stands out mm-hmm. to me. Mm-hmm. Mostly because it's such a conundrum to work it mm-hmm. into cocktails. Yeah. It's a little too close to Fernand, but it's not Fernand. Yeah. I think it's delicious.
0: It is delicious. It's uh, I know it's a popular one as well. Mm-hmm. For sure. Question number two. Which ingredient or tool is the most undervalued in a bartender's arsenal?
1: Uh, their knowledge. Their own skill set. Learn to trust yourselves and what you've learned and the information that you've amassed over the years. I feel like one of the most interesting things that happens with, with bartenders, especially when they're breaking into it, they're excited, they're motivated. That's all they think about. And I think it's so enlightening because you see that motivation, you see that drive, Mm -hmm. take comfort in making something simple and let it be delicious. Sometimes you see these, these younger bartenders, or bar, eh, bartenders in general, they create these massive seven, eight, nine component pickup cocktails that they're, they've got a straw in the tin every quarter of an ounce. Why don't you just make something that's good, that's stood the test of time, mm-hmm. talk with your guest. You might be surprised just how good a cucumber gimlet is, <laughs> and they will be too. Yeah you'll blow them away with the simplicity and the deliciousness behind it. Mm -hmm. You got it done. You got it done quick and you got it done right. And I
0: think that's a really important
1: point to note too, which is like you
0: as a bartender when you're creating drinks might be thinking about trying to please someone on an intellectual level, like when it comes to other bartenders, right? 95% of your guests or more are not at that level. That's the, the cucumber gimlet. Perfect example. Classic with a little twist. People are going to love it.
1: Yeah. And, and again, it it all goes back to allowing yourself, myself included, to fall back on that extensive knowledge base, all that information, again, that you've accrued, that you've amassed over the years. Just let that be the guiding force mm-hmm. behind how you execute.
0: And this reminds me of... Um and I'm paraphrasing here and I might even be making some of it up, but that doesn't bother me. Um the guidelines, unofficial guidelines that I believe Robert Simonson talks about in his most recent book, Modern Classics, like what do all modern what should all modern classics have, or like what defines them? And some of the parameters he puts out there is like, I think it shouldn't be more than four ingredients in the drink, and all of the ingredients should be somewhat readily available, right? Like a drink can't break into modern classic realm if it contains something so esoteric or a very difficult to prepare i don't know syrup or something just to, it's not going to get widespread recognition or love among bartenders
1: hmm. i don't know how how true is that really because okay it's tough
0: yeah no i think so but i think if you think about for example like look we spoke about the paper plane here Yeah, there's a couple ingredients in there that are not going to be available at your standard neighborhood liquor store, but you can get them. And as a bar in most parts of the country, you can get them, right? Right. Or I think about the Gold Rush. Yeah, it has a proprietary ingredient in it, right, a preparation, but it's a simple honey honey syrup, right? Mm -hmm. Honey ginger syrup? I don't know. No, no, I'm, I'm, I'm conflating that. I'm confusing that with the penicillin.
1: The penicillin.
0: It's a, a another classic right there, right? But again, simple preparations that anyone even at home can make. Right. If you're coming up with some amazing cola syrup, fantastic. Might not be a modern classic. Not all drinks need to be modern classics, but I'm just using that in terms of like mass appeal and what kind of breaks through.
1: Yeah, I guess. In this day and age, right with with social media, it's a, it's an interesting conversation because the the reach for things now is so much greater. Whereas you know these drinks that were originally conceptualized in the nineteen hundreds, they had to get into print, mm-hmm. that had to get distributed. So the spread of information is so much slower. Yeah, was so much slower versus now. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Four components make it good. I'm just having a hard time thinking about what the la- what's the last drink that you've sat down, sat down with that's four to five components tops mm-hmm. that's completely, hard to say completely, right? But mostly an original concept. I don't think they need to be original concepts. And I think that's
0: where, you know, like, I think that's where the paper plane is a great example, right? Or Naked and Famous, like, taking that four ingredients at three quarters. But, yeah, like... No, if anything, I think I think it helps them if they're riffs. For the mod But again, I don't know. I don't know whether I don't know when we see new modern classics emerge just because so many of these things have been done. I don't know. I don't know. It's an interesting one.
1: It is. It is.
0: Perhaps we're we're beyond the modern era. Who knows?
1: I hate to agree with you.
0: <laughs> All right then. Question number three. What's the most important piece of advice you've received? while working in this industry?
1: I don't know if it's something that I've received. So interestingly enough, I'm sober. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, I believe it's been about 22 months, uh, mm-hmm. no booze. Uh, the most, a piece of advice that I give everyone that works for me is to respect respect the product.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Respect what it does, respect what it can do. Don't abuse it. Yeah. That's, that's the biggest piece of advice that I know the question was that I've received, but for me, it's the best piece of advice that I can give. Mm -hmm. Respect the work, respect what it does, Mm -hmm. respect that product.
0: I think it's a great point. I think across alcohol, not just bartenders, sommeliers as well, um, Beer tenders. Why can't I think Cicerones? I don't know. (laughs) People that serve beer. (laughs) Just stuff from bartenders. I don't know. But you know what I mean. Um, There is a danger of thinking that because we work in this industry, that we are somehow immune to the dangers. No. And, or not immune, but maybe have a higher threshold. And I think it's just a very personal Case by case basis or whatever, right? But I, again, like just because you work with alcohol doesn't mean that you're somehow more resistant to its effects.
1: No, and I think that that's that's something that happens uh, pretty easily mm-hmm. with uh, with people that work in this industry. Yeah, they they think that they are somehow immune to the effects of the uh, of the booze of the alcohol, and it's just not the case. Mm-hmm. Um, I know myself. You know, through my time of drinking, I would put drinks together, taste the drinks. Oh, here's a friend of mine. Let's have a shot. Yeah. Shifts over. Let me have a a beer and a whiskey. What are we doing after? We're going to the bar. Mm hmm. I'm going to have another four. Mm hmm. Then I wake up the next morning wondering why I feel the way that I feel. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it, I mean, it's as much
0: kind of just, um, routine is it is anything else, right? Like the, than the mindset, but yeah, no, I mean, I, I, I've seen in wine tastings at wine events where some people don't spit and they're like, yeah, I don't get drunk. I'm sorry. Everyone gets drunk. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I don't know. I think that's a, that. I think that's very worthy advice that you're giving today here. So it's, it doesn't matter that you didn't receive that, but you're, I'm glad that we're able to share it.
1: Yeah. I'm happy. I'm happy that I'm able to have, uh, have the opportunity to share that. Um, I think it's important. Mm-hmm. I think it's incredibly important. One hundred percent. I think now more so than ever. I think this industry presents itself as a as a viable career option for for people um, people that want to delve into this line of work uh, more deeply, more seriously. It's not just shaking drinks and you know mm-hmm. putting up spec sheets. It's a lot more. It's a lot more to it than that. And if you allow yourself to to grow within the field, I think that there is a lot of a lot of opportunity to grow. Yeah, if you dedicate yourself to it. Mm-hmm. And and like you say as well, you
0: know, if you're treating this as a career, if you're starting out and you're going, this is my career, yeah, you want to be careful from the beginning. Don't go hell for leather with the drinking because yeah,
1: it's a, it's it's risky business. I've seen it. I've mm-hmm. seen it happen. You know, lots of friends of mine, people that I've known. They start off in bartending and, and it goes well and then it turns into a, another type of job in, in the field where they might be on the seller's side of things and then that turns into parties and events and before you know it, you see the burnout. Yeah. You see it and it's hard to recover from that.
0: Mm-hmm. Oh, I think it's so important that we bring that up today. appreciate you doing so. Yeah, for sure. Question number four here. If you could only visit one last bar in your life, What
1: would it be? Man, you know, I really, really enjoyed what they did at The Nomad. Mm -hmm. I really liked what they did. I think the room was beautiful. The level of service, the execution was just always top tier. I haven't had the opportunity to visit too too many of those world's 50 best or Mm -hmm. the most highly regarded bars in the world. Um, But, man, I really enjoyed what The Nomad was putting out.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, and... A lot of great bartenders came through that that mm-hmm. place as well. Yes. It was a, it was a breeding ground. This is where we're allowed to say that these days. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> Who knows. <laughs> we might edit. Um last question. All right. If you knew that the next cocktail you drank was going to be your last, it's a hypothetical question here, but um what would you order or make?
1: Ooh. I can make it.
0: Yeah, and I'm. You're. I think you're the first person that's ever asked that. And I, I always assume some people are like, I would like to make it, but yeah, you can make it.
1: Oh, a daiquiri. Yeah. Easy. Yeah, a Negroni would have been the other one. If someone else is. If making someone's it. making it for me. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah.
0: Nice little Campari cocktail. That one.
1: Oh yeah. There's a reason why I felt so strongly about it. Mm-hmm. Oh god, I remember, you know, during my during my drinking days. Mm-hmm. Um. Deer Irving was my favorite place to sit down mm-hmm. and have a Negroni. Nice, yeah.
0: I never make it past the Gibson. I love the Gibson.
1: You know, it's a it's a good one. Mm-hmm. They do it right,
0: but they they make a good Negroni.
1: Yeah. Are they using tank Tan? You know, I can't say I ever. You know, it's so when I sit at bars, I have a hard time going out. Mm-hmm. One because I don't mm-hmm. you know drink anymore, but I'm always working. And it's probably the worst habit that I've developed over time. I'm watching. Where's that scoop? Yeah. Where Where those? Where are the jiggers? Mm-hmm. Did you build in the small tin? Why'd you shake so long? I just. It's so hard to break out of it. Yeah. So now, I just don't look.
0: Mm-hmm. That's good. Yeah. That's good.
1: Yeah. So so whatever they were using, mm-hmm. it's better that I don't know.
0: And do you want to share your daiquiri pick with us real quick?
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, for a daiquiri, I would say just get yourself a nice white rum. Mm-hmm. You don't have to pick anything too crazy. Please don't pick agricole. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Just a standard white rum. Mm-hmm. Fresh lime, simple syrup, two ounces of, the, of white rum, one ounce of lime, three quarters of an ounce of simple syrup. Put it in an and Nora for me.
0: Nick and Nora. Please. Nay garnish. <laughs> no garnish. <laughs> keep, the, keep the lime wedge. I'm keep not going to Hold use it. the lime. <laughs> I'm not going to use it.
1: It serves no purpose. It shouldn't be on the drink. Yeah, is my keep thought. it out there. Get it out of there.
0: Yeah. Wilmer, thank you so much, man. It's been a real pleasure today.
1: Yeah, total pleasure, man. Thank you so much for having me.
0: I'm going to, uh, you know, the pleasure's all ours, but I'm going to get myself on Google Maps now and figure out what the deal is with
1: this Elysees business. Same same. <laughs> I was gonna say you're gonna get on Google Maps and come visit us. Then I'm
0: going and then I'm going straight from there to Leroy's and I'm going for I'm going for a The real deal.
1: It'll be a long trip mm-hmm. if you go to Shams. Maybe first, they named then...
0: the street after the cocktail. who knows Maybe we'll figure it out. We'll
1: We'll share one together and then
0: we'll figure <laughs> it out. Cheers brother. Cheers. Okay that was a lot of info, but here's the good news. Every single episode of Vinepair's Cocktail College is also published on vinepair.com as a transcript, so you can check it out there all over again. Also, if you enjoy listening to the show anywhere near as much as we enjoy making it, go ahead and hit subscribe, and please leave a rating or review wherever you get your podcasts, whether that's Apple, Spotify, or Stitcher, and please tell your friends. Now for the credits cocktail college is recorded and produced in new york city by myself and keith beavers vinepair's tastings director and all-round podcast guru of course i want to give a huge shout out to everyone on the vinepair team too many awesome people to mention they know who they are but i want to give some credit here to Danielle grinberg art director at vinepair for designing the awesome show logo and listen to that music that's a darby seaside original